0: Namaste So today as part of writings of shurbinda volume 25 we take up the last part which is on war and self determination so uh, it consists of a series of essays uh, six essays but they were all written not with the idea of forming a series like in human cycle and the other ideal of human unity we see a series Where each chapter is flowing into another, another into the third one. They were independent, standalone articles. But they were brought together as a book because there was a common thread running through them. And later on, two more, uh, as appendix, two incomplete uh, fragments which were found in Sherbindu's books, they were notebooks, were added. So here they are given as appendixes one and two. So these six chapters uh, take up the issue of war and self-determination, but it is preceded by a foreword because uh, they were all independent sort of asses. So Shubindu puts a foreword and here he takes up the, just as there is the ideal of human unity, there is one of the ideals that mankind has cherished is an era of peace when there will be no more wars. So it takes up that ideal and this is something very beautiful about Mother and Sri They deny nothing. They negate nothing. They put everything in its proper place and they lift it to its utmost possibility. That's how, uh, you know, unlike world-negating philosophies, world-negating philosophies are war hota rahega. That's how man has been forever. So it doesn't make sense why there are wars Can they ever come to an end? Is there a deeper cause behind it? So this way, uh, there is a whole denial of a whole drama of life or a movement of life. But Sri would tell us why there are wars, what happens through war. Eventually, why is it allowed in so much extreme situations in which men live, men die? Of course, he has summarized it beautifully in one of his aphorisms that men die so that man may live and God may grow and um, then there is another one where you know that's why when people take this kind of approach that it is something only people divide life into negative and positive so war is negative and peace is positive so they don't understand why there is Kuru war that too at the helm there is Sri Krishna <laughs> so you can't even say that well and not only is he at the helm of it in certain ways, he is quite the leader of that moment. Because but for Sri Krishna, war may have dropped. You know the story, you know. When someone asked Shadeva. was used to be meditating almost with great qualities. He had foresight also. So he was asked that, you are able to see so many things, you can predict the future. What do you think about this impending war? Will it uh, stop? He said there are three ways it can be stopped. Drobdi ke kesh do. Cut off her hairs, kill Bhim, and tie Krishna. Three ways. <laughs> so. <laughs> then he says that all three are near impossible. Maybe you can convince Drobdi and she will cut off her hair, meaning thereby break her promise. That Dushashankaratlana, she may break a promise. After all, a great uh, queen, empress, to be empress. Bhima, it's not easy to kill him, but maybe uh, you know Bhishma and karna may conspire and they join hands and kill him in an unguarded moment when Arjuna is away, <laughs> possible. But Krishna you cannot bind. Then Krishna says, You can bind me. How? This is by the power of love. Now this story is a very symbolic story. I mean apart from its deeper things. Then it's only the power of love which can prevent eventually the uh, war which mankind indulges in. So when you, you, you are not ready for this power which is actually the secret power behind everything then you have to go through the rudra. You see the same rudra is Shiva. The benevolent. But when you are not ready for the power of love which wants to manifest, then you have to go through three stages of human evolution. It's all there in this book. Not this story, but now what we are going to say, It speaks of these three stages. One is when we are dealing with um, full of hypocrisy, pretensions. We proclaim things and we are pushed by just blind egoism. In that case, Rudra meets us. I don't know how Rudra meets. So we have that story in um, Shiv Puran. One Rudra, Bhadra. he just ransacks completely. He doesn't care then who are you. Because he is force of God. Why? Because you are blindly, you are driven by blind force so you will meet ultimately that force which can create a recoil and devastate you. Hanuman himself is the 11th Rudra. And uh, you know, he, you know, when he went to Lanka, Ashok, So that is the power of Rudra. Now, if you instead start proclaiming ideals, but you are a hypocrite. Now, there are two stages. First is Rudra where you don't have an ideal. You are driven by brute ego. No, I have more force, I'll devastate it. Might is right, you are like Bali. So you are met with Rudra. When you say, no I have an ideal of uh, good and great and yet you are doing something which is different from your ideal. Then the Lord of Truth meets us. And he tests us severely, thoroughly, cleanses us, makes us conscious. Till we are ready for the Lord of Truth That is the supramental uh, manifestation That's what is happening today So humanity is being tested Retested in the crucible and the furnace That's why this yoga is not easy Because um, you have to be uh, Shaped into perfect perfection You cannot hide things and say I am good, I am great I am a sadhak, I am a yogi These masks will be just stripped bare Till one day you say Okay, childy acha <laughs> and then the lord of truth says ok, this is fine and then when you have gone through that then you have the lord of love these are the three stages through which you go you know that story of Bhattu Kavatar of Shiva when Kali is destroying everything and Shiva doesn't know what to do he has already tried once lying on the inner path and stays her So this time Kali knows that now he is going to do this so she is not going to accept that. (laughs) So he becomes a little child and he starts crying. So when Kali hears him cry, Shiva becomes a little child. He is called as Bhattu So she turns towards him. And then when she sees the child cry, she is filled with compassion and love. And you know the whole thing changes, scenario changes. So these are the three stages which... Sri describes So first stage we have seen in first world war there was nothing but brute force second world war complete deceit, hypocrisy and truth came and every deceit was laid bare otherwise Hitler's propaganda machinery was so well organized and as a result of it now you see it is very difficult to maintain hypocrisy and deceit in our international dealings. This is what is happening. Yesterday also I was watching in one of the programs where people were asking in Pakistan, who do you think is your better friend, China or India? And an average Pakistani was saying, of course India. We are making a blunder by trusting China as a friend. Because he is interested only in itself. It's just self-interest. He's not going to give you anything. If he gives you anything, it's to capture you. Now you see, this is very interesting that this an average citizen has become to know. So people will say that, "How does it matter if an average citizen knows? Now that's where Shubindu says that a truth manifests at three levels. First is, the unseen power that drives us takes a decision. That's how it is going to be. Second, it starts declaring in the thought and imagination of man. Feelings, thoughts, ideals, imagination. That process started some time back with the IPL. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, that's how a common activity where you come together. Then slowly, world situations are pushing one to the brink where you have to strip yourself of this mask facade events you are compelled men are compelled to act so that everything will be laid bare because you are at somebody else's mercy so you see what happened recently I don't know whether you will follow the news or not that tomatoes had come from Iran and in Pakistan they were thrown on the ground and destroyed now tomatoes had come free to help you know why they were destroyed? because they come from a Shia country speak about brotherhood so I won't accept tomatoes so people were you know saying you now you will be compelled and men are driven like flies literally they are doing something which is exposing you openly how much ever you may try to hide this is the age of truth it will strip you bare so very often people say so much is happening no it was happening always but it was hidden behind the Raps, people knew how to cover it. Now the covers are torn and nobody is being spared. You may be a man in power, you may belong to the head of a religion, doesn't matter. You are stripped bare because that's how it is working, operating now. Earlier men could live with deceit and cunning. But that was the age when the unseen power had held back these greater ideas because mankind had to be prepared by the way of Rudra. That's why Sri Bindu says in Essence on the Gita, that Rudra still holds the world in the hollow of his palms. And you have to first pay the debt to Rudra. Debt to Rudra is all this world has been brought out with tremendous forces. Just imagine asteroids jumping around each other, breaking the earth, moon is coming out. Tremendous forces. Animals, dinosaurs, and you know, such Rudra forces have gone, volcanoes, and you know, tsunami is so. You have to pay the debt to him, meaning thereby these forces are also within us. You have to either exhaust them or divert them. That's why Mother writes in that uh, A Dream. She says that uh, these warring instincts we must exhaust by turning them into uh, battle with our own ego. Why not use them? That is the ultimate kshatriya So this is how the debt to Rudra will be paid. When he is appeased… When he is ready for conversion but he won't convert straight to the God of love then he becomes a manifest himself as a God of truth and then when we are ready then the God of love so these all these things and uh, very beautifully so first is the passing of war question mark and the war is over they are written during that you know period from 1916 to 1919 and passing of war means that well now war will no more be there so people are, must be very happy, thank God the war has gone. And Sri obviously knows and the League of Nations has come into being. But before that, let me just read one passage where we can see how beautifully Sri was forcing everything. Okay, I'll read from the foreword. So essential thing that he is saying that as long as you have inwardly the psychological conditions which bring out war, war cannot pass away. Now he is not saying it will never pass away. He is saying it is an inner change which will make war impossible. So the passing of war, when it happened, people formed a league of nations. Many of us may be aware, where five nations come together and they decide. There is an arbitration court of justice. So there is a hope that now the war will pass away. And there are different, uh, people have created different kinds of predictions. One of them was, there was a book uh, written by a Russian called The Great Illusion. He says that with the development of science, war will become impossible. Then there was another prediction, with democracy, war will become impossible. Why? Because war is created by dictators and tyrants. See the paradox Some of the wars that has taken place at least in the last 30 years have been by the most flourishing democracy on the other side of the globe. Isn't it? So democracy, science and technology. Science and technology has become engine of war production. It was hoped that just because every nation will become militarily um, developed there will be no war. So they didn't learn from the Mahabharata. That's why they should have read the Mahabharata. They would have understood that, no, there was such tremendous technology. In fact, the mother says, the more you have these instruments of destruction, there will be compulsion on mankind to use it. Because these beings, no, asuras who stand behind, they want you to use it. They'll push you. Have you ever seen how to control a, a desire or impulse? So if you have it easily available, it's like saying you have the fruit but you won't eat it. If you don't want to eat it, keep the fruit far. (laughs) Why are you keeping it near? Okay, when you have had the complete mastery, yes, agreed. But otherwise, you have the fruit and you don't want to eat it, you will be hundred times the thought of eating it will strike you. Simply because it's readily available. So because there is a nuclear pile, there will be an urge. to use it. And when people have the urge to use it, they are driven by infrarational forces. In your rational state, you will say that, no, we don't want to do it. But there are infrarational forces which can go to any extent. What prevents uh, I mean, I don't want to use this. But let's say there are suicide bombers. They actually, that man drove the aircraft into the twin towers. Imagine, if he acquired technologically capacity to carry a nuclear even a small nuclear device with him what would it have meant what prevented because these things are now available I mean now the earth is flat you can't keep technology confined to one nation so people don't realize that you know they are uh, standing on a brink so he says that well the bossed constitution and limping action of the League of Nations is the result of this ancient manoeuvre. The League has been got into being by sacrificing the principles which govern the idea behind its inception. Now that is gone, it is reborn as United Nations Organisation. But basic stuff is the same. The one thing that has been gained is a formal, regularised and established instrument by which the governments of the leading nations can meet together, habitually, consult, accommodate their interests, give some kind of consideration to the voice and the claim of the smaller free nations, try to administer with a common understanding certain common or conflicting interests, delay dangerous outbreaks and collisions or minimize them when they come, govern the life of the nations that are not free, and not already subject to the successful empires under the cover of a mandate. He says, all this is true. But as long as you try through any mechanical uh, means, this won't work. So, he says, toward the end of this forward, For these ideals stand and they represent the greater aims of the spirit in man, Which through all the denials, obstacles and imperfections of his present incomplete nature Knows always the perfection towards which it moves And the greatness of which it is capable Circumstance and force and external necessity and past nature May still be too strong for us The Rudra powers still govern the destinies And the lords of truth and justice And the lords of love have to wait for their reign But if the light of the ideal is kept burning in its flame of knowledge and its flame of power, it will seize even on these things and create out of their evil its greater inevitable good. So this was what the mother's experience was during the first world war. That how those men who have sacrificed themselves. So they were schools of courage. So what does war teach us on one side is devastating and everything. But war is the only situation if you look at it in one way where man is ready to go to the extreme sacrifice, even of the bodily ego. Otherwise, all our sacrifices fall short of it. That's why the common thing is that, even when you say that, you know, I love you so much that I'll give my life. It never really happens if, you know, unless you are a mad guy and somebody says. <laughs> why? Because... But for a greater ideal, men sacrifice their life. And that's why people who had gone through the First World War, when Mother looked at their bodies, you know, she used to tend the wounded, she said, this humanity is getting ready for the new creation. Because they have taken that leap. So this is something which happens through the process of war. And therefore it closes with a hope The time will come when they will be able to seize on the force that works and turn it into the instrument of a greater and fairer creation. The nearness or the distance of the time depends on the fidelity of the mind and will of man to the best that he sees and the insistence of his self-knowledge. So when, um, you know, again, Auroville was created with this purpose and you can see how in Auroville what forces came first into action. Auroville it was created for human unity. And at this inception, ask of people what was Auroville in the 70, 70s, 70, 73, 74, 75. It was a nightmare. There was such violent mutual opposition because people from different countries have come. Each has come with his own idea of freedom. This place belongs to nobody. So, what happened? Therefore, my ego can do whatever I feel like. So the lifestyle had become like that. And people were fighting with each other because no nation can lay a claim. Government had not come at that point of time. So it was its own particular act. And now over decades, because first you have to go through that evolutionary process of collective living, collective evolution. Auroville is a great experiment in collective evolution. And if Auroville were not there, we could hope individually as little, little Gnostic beings rising here and there and then coming together. But the idea of dream of a perfect society would have to be stalled, God knows for how many centuries. So, she, it was premature, but the mother wanted to establish everything here, infuse it with her power and then let time unfold. So, that's how… And then he speaks about the secret will. And then the illusions through which we go through. So individually and collectively we go through these illusions. The sub satyog even in Kalyug, when we believe, ah, the ideal world has come, the ideal world has come. Ram (laughs) Rajagya. So, Sri reminds us, man's illusions are of all sorts and kinds. Some of them petty though not unimportant For nothing in the world is unimportant Sometimes you have to just keep the memory Of an ideal Through an illusion It cannot be realized Yet mankind must dream of it You know, Queen Hatsheput had created that sun temple Dedicated to God Ra in Egypt And then Mother was asked that you were the one then who had created this, but you knew very well, the ideals are just like Auroville, that it cannot be created, because now it is in ruins. So why did you keep created? He said to keep the memory in the mind of the race, that this is the ideal towards which we have to move. So there are moments when the divine comes just to keep it going. The dream of the millennia, the Christian millennia, the Ram Rajya, etc., they are important, because otherwise they are illusions we realize them. Now that also he explains to us, lest we get carried away by the word. For nothing in the world is unimportant, others vast and grandiose. So petty is that, you know, when everybody will live a life happily ever after. In that Hindi song, there is neither grief nor pain. Begham pura, that's how some people, there is no Sorrow, misery. Or it can be a perfect and just society where all have equal opportunities to grow, progress, evolve in a wonderful way. Now, that can be a very detailed and grandiose. The greatest of them all are those which cluster round the hope of a perfected society, a perfected race, a terrestrial millennium. Jagannath Rath is one such ideal of a perfect society where... Everybody is centered around Jagannath. From the sweeper to the king, the king becomes the sweeper who cleans the road, and he too pulls along with everybody else. And Shrivendra says that these four uh, wheels of the rath they represent, you know, that four ideals of society: unity, freedom, liberty, brotherhood. They are they represent all these aspects of the um, ideal of the race. And yet, we know that just by doing it, you cannot, you know, (laughs) immediately create a perfect society. But it's good to remember it. And that's how he says that the world is not yet ready for the true spiritual order. It is striving towards it. And then he speaks of three kinds of societies. So perfect society that came close was the ancient Indian order of a sattvic life. But that is also not the ultimate ideal. So it had to break down. Then there is the Rajasic society which is more like the modern um, western society. Now Indian also. And the third was Tamasic. Bulakart. So he compares them that the Satvik is more like rail running on tracks. Everything is decided, fixed. It may get late a little bit but it's going on track. Sometimes it may collide. This is a rare thing the Rajasik type is motor car running at fast speed on a highway and the third is bullock cart so bullock cart was 100 years down back or maybe 50 years back the indian society unwilling to change but neither of these three captures the real perfected society and that he it is when each one of course will Realize the divine presence. Each new idea, religious or social, which takes possession of the epoch and seizes on large masses of men is in turn to be the instrument of these high realizations. Each in turn betrays the hope which gave it its force to conquer. What made Islam go around all that? Brotherhood, universal brotherhood. Imagine so many people may have been seized by this idea. For a change we all can come together and unite. Christianity Oh so wonderful to unite together in the great ideal of forgiveness and love. And look what happens. Christianity and Islam become one of the greatest blood shedding uh, you know institutions in history. So but for a moment it helps. It seizes the mass of mankind. And the reason is plain enough to whosoever chooses to see It is that no change of ideas or of the intellectual outlook upon life Note carefully now, he is going to say something very beautiful, very powerful No change of ideas or of the intellectual outlook upon life No belief in God or Avatar or Prophet No victorious science or liberating philosophy No social scheme or system no sort of machinery, internal or external, can really bring about the great desire implanted in the race. True, though that desire is in itself, is not calling it vanity. And the index of the goal to which we are being led, because man is himself not a machine, not a device, but a being and a most complex one at that, Therefore, he cannot be saved by machinery. Only by an entire change which shall affect all the members of his being can he be liberated from his discords and imperfections. This is how he closes the chapter, The Passing of War. So he said the note already that, you know, the supramental, many people often ask, Oh, all this is uh, too big, too high. So my answer is then, leave all your ideals and dreams because then what else is worth striving for? If not this, then we have to say we are condemned to an imperfection. Then accept. You can't create a perfect society by, uh, you know, monks have abandoned the world. It's a paradox. You can't create that. You have to first realize the jivan muktavastha. Then you have to become an instrument and channel of the divine forces to pour upon her, Then the transformation. These are the three steps Minimum. So this is passing of war. So, and then he says further in the next chapter, so long as war does not become psychologically impossible, it will remain or if banished for a while return. That's why external solutions are always a makeshift. In the ashram, we are taught this in a very, very practical, pragmatic way. (laughs) You try to change a department, it doesn't work. Why? Because as long as you don't change... And people don't feel the need to change. At one place, the mother says that they have not even felt the will to change. It will be. But this does not mean discarding the ideal, but to hold it and to keep on tuning oneself, however slowly, limpingly or leapingly until all in us is ready for living that. So, human beings give up the ideal when they see that, you know, But that's because they don't know what is the way. That's why Sri says it's only a world based on truth and refusing its slavery to falsehood that can really build this ideal world. War itself, it is hoped will end war. The expense, the horror, the butchery, the disturbance of tranquil life, the whole confused, sanguinary madness of the thing has reached Or will reach such colossal proportions that the human race will fling the monstrosity behind it in weariness and disgust. But weariness and disgust, horror and pity, even the opening of the eyes to reason by the practical fact of the waste of human life and energy and the harm and extravagance are not permanent factors. They last only while the lesson is fresh. So, you know, all that cry we are saying, focus all the more urgency. That's why in 57, in one of our conversations, the mother says, there's an urgency for spiritualization of the race. Time is pressing. Truth wants to manifest, but nobody's ready. People are all busy. You know, there are people I know in families, divorces took place. On what? Because you are siding with Russia and I am siding with Ukraine. Actual fact I am telling you. And both are writing to me. And they are devotees. I said, for you it is very easy. Focus on the real, real thing. People have separated based on this. Uh, see how a power, I mean the divisive force can find a way to play upon our psyche in such ways. Just because you are taking this side or that side. So they know that, you know, psychologically we are fighting, we are as bad as what's happening on the frontier. What's happening on the frontier is nothing but a spillover of what is inside. All evil that we see, observe, and find it gross and grotesque is nothing but a concretization of the evil that dwells in our hearts. And till we change it here, The hope that it will vanish suddenly, miraculously, by police, military, or law is nothing but a vain chimera. And yet, she says, these illusions are necessary to keep the hope alive. Afterwards, there is forgetfulness. Human nature recuperates itself and recovers the instincts that were temporarily dominated. A long peace, even a certain organization of peace, may conceivably result, but so long as the heart of man remains what it is, the peace will come to an end. War is no longer perhaps, perhaps no longer a biological necessity, but it is still a psychological necessity. What is within us must manifest itself outside. Then he speaks of beautiful, that unseen power, how it is driving human beings... And he suddenly takes us to the vision of Kurukshetra in this particular essay. He says, say, When Krishna is asked, Who are you? So he says, Kalosmi. Lok I am Kal, time the destroyer. And he says that what was he fulfilling through the war of Kurukshetra? People write all kinds of things that he created the war of Kurukshetra so that human beings may understand the lesson of war and therefore seek peace. Krishna is not, uh, <laughs> you know, he is the wisest of the wise. People didn't understand these lessons since the time of Mahabharata, Ramayana. That was not the purpose of Kurukshetra war. Kurukshetra war was an exigency to save India so that Dharma can be saved. That was the whole. Otherwise, if there was no Kurukshetra war, there would have been gross Dharma reigning over the only land meant for Dharma. That is India, Bharat Bhumi. He knew that war will one day pass away, but he had left it to his next <laughs> coming, second coming. Dharma glani bhavati Bharata. He gave hints, I'll come. But that moment it was it became a necessity. So he speaks about that unseen power which drives human beings. Men fight for their personal or or communal or national interest or for ideas and principles of which they make watchwords and battle cries. But the largest human interests are only means and instruments which some force greater than themselves breaks or uses in its inconscient impulse or else for its conscious purposes. Ideas and principles are births of our minds which are born, reign and pass away. And they are mere words unless they express some power of a being and a world being. Something there is greater than our thoughts and desires. Something more constant and insistent which lasts and grows beyond and yet by their changings. Now you see, there is something very beautiful with regard to this. Today all that, you know, we know how Christianity has now become what it was. But what remains as an eternal fact, it is the crucifixion of Christ. So much would have happened if you read that, see that movie, The Passion of Christ, you know, going through pain, suffering, doubts. It's difficult to watch that film, you know, beyond a point. And yet, after a point of time, just imagine, you know, somebody, what was he saying? He was speaking of freedom, brotherhood, unity. This was the same thing Christ was saying. And they crucified him. Along with two thieves, what kind of a gory way it was to you know uh, kill a human being, and then out of that a kind of humanism was born. That purpose. Now you see the Kurushetra War. What has survived the Kurushetra War? The one undisputed thing. You may doubt whether war took place or not. Where are the weapons? They ask on Kora. Where are the weapons? Of Arjuna, Bhim. Was Karnas a better warrior or why idiotic questions? But people ask all that as if you know somebody can pass a judgment sitting here in your comfortable room doing Google search and reading the Mahabharata. But people do that, that's their business. Could Drona have killed Bhima? It's so funny. The questions will make you laugh. I don't go. They keep, I keep getting those, you know, email. I don't know. Ek do bar But the questions make me laugh. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> so anyways, what has survived? Where the war took place? Did it take place? Was there actually, you know, we have the Pandavas, places dedicated to Pandavas. Bhim ki gufa, Pandavon ka. But what has survived is the Kita. Undisputed fact. That's what at the end Sanjay tells, he predicts, he foresees. He says, Dhritarasht, I'll tell you one thing that after all this that I have seen, you may curse anybody you want to. Because Dhritarasht curses, like, you know, Krishna can stop, he's not stopping. He says, one thing I know wherever there is Krishna, wherever there is Arjuna, there there is victory. And he also says, when I remember this what I have heard and I behold that great vision, ah, my heart is filled with great joy. See, so this whole conflict gave birth to one of the greatest gospel of works. Why couldn't Krishna have given it in comfortable times? Because man is not ready. See, that's how... When after some time Arjuna says, Oh, you are <laughs> so good, I wish we could record. There were no recording machines. <laughs> so, the first Krishna tells him, You don't remember. <laughs> you don't remember. <laughs> so he says, Okay. So there is this Dusri Gita which is born. People call it Dusri Gita. But where was it given? In the court of Yudhishthir Now the war is over. Pandavas have gone into a sadness because their own fratricidal war they were the good guys they were not celebrating the victory let's have a party Duryodhana would have done it but they were noble people so they were going through that sadness so Krishna comes and the purpose of now that Gita is different now the same truths he has released not different he speaks about three gunas at great length he speaks about all that but it lacks that power I mean It has everything, but that power that you find when you read the Shrimad Bhagavad Gita. I I mean, I have read and I am sure those of us who have read can testify to this. It lacks, it's like the Bhagavad Gita comes as a massive, tremendous force of God. Of course, there is, what is missing is the It Comes as a tremendous power which awakens mankind to the great necessity of the challenge that life poses before us through crisis, conflict. And even catastrophes. So, he says the same thing. It is the wrath of Rudra that has swept over the earth and the track of his footprints can be seen in these ruins. There has come as a result upon the race the sense of having lived in many falsehoods and the need of building according to an ideal. Therefore, we have now to meet the question of the master of truth. You know, question of Master of Truth Dharma Raj is question And he asked many questions They are wonderful questions How many I have forgotten Some hundred or thirty-five questions One day we have decided to answer those those questions <laughs> Amazing questions Are you ready for truth? Why? Because Yudhishthira has to be prepared to become the king To lead a Dharmic nation See, once you first see, are you ready? You have paid the debt of Rudra But are you ready? Because he had those warring instincts, you have turned them towards the true Kshatriya spirit. But are you ready for the reign of truth? So he comes and sees and then he says, okay, fine, you are ready. Last is Kimasharyam, what is the most surprising thing in this world. So this is how the Lord of Truth meets us with relentless questions. Two great words of the divine truth have forced themselves insistently on our minds through the crash of the ruin and the breath of the tempest and are now the leading words of the hope for reconstruction. What music there is in those words? Freedom and unity. But everything depends first upon the truth of our vision of them, secondly upon the sincerity with which we apply it. Vain will be the mechanical construction of unity? Let's all get together. Let's, you know, offer soap, sops and please everybody. We are all one people. Let us dole out. It says vain. Look at the power behind these words. Actually, when you read these articles, my suggestion is, please read the war, war and self determination. You will feel it is Krishna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. And he says, me." but he is now elaborating, not through the vision, but through the mind of man. Look at this, he even brings out those passages from the Gita. Look at the power of these words. Vain will be the mechanical construction of unity, if unity is not in the heart of the race, and if it be made only a means for safeguarding and organizing our interests? The result will then be only, as it was in the immediate past, a fiercer strife and new outbreaks of revolution and anarchy. No paltering mechanisms which have the appearance but not the truth of freedom will help us. The new structure, however imposing, will only become another prison and compel a fresh struggle for liberation. The only safety for man lies in learning to live from within outward, not depending on institutions and machinery to perfect him. How beautiful, reminder. Passing a bill and act in the parliament is not going to change us. Okay, it can create some conditions, which is fine, that's okay. And people must do it where they are. But for us, the command is to change from within outward not depending on institutions and machinery. So if people think that just because they come and join the ashram, they'll suddenly become supramental beings. Excuse me. (laughs) At best, it is an opportunity. At worst, if you have missed that opportunity and misused it, (laughs) so much worse. (laughs) Because at least you were not given an opportunity, it's still okay. So that's how it is. However imposing the new structure, okay, the only safety lies No machinery can perfect him But out of his growing inner perfection Availing to shape a more perfect form and frame of life For by this inwardness We shall best be able Both to see the truth of the high things Which we now only speak with our lips And form into outward intellectual constructions And to apply their truth sincerely To all our outward living So this is how he reveals and then lastly the principle of self-determination. That's a new thing. I want a separate Kalistan, self-determination. As an individual, what applies? Same thing applies there. I want a separate Tamil state. I want a separate so, well, liberty. If liberty is the truth, then why not? There's a whole thought around it. Very logically argued thought. People have a right to choose. Kashmir, I want to be separate. You can't tell them that there is a vision of Akhanda Bharat in Mother India. <laughs> they say, we don't believe in it. So what is the principle of self-determination? He says, as in individuals, so in collectivity. Now, in individuality, we understand that your self-determination doesn't mean that your ego has the right to trample upon others. So what we do is, we allow the ego space, but elbow room. That space cannot be the space of the asurik who wants everything. So normally we organize individual groups like that or individuals like that. You can do it but within your space. You can't elbow out others. But the problem is, if ego is the master, it will start doing it. That's what happens even in individual life. How do you manage it? Again by external machinery. If you do something which is not according to law, you will be punished. So has crime stopped? People find the ego finds ways and means. It again ends up being a hypocrite. Now, if that can happen to an individual, which is far more easier to handle, what happens to bigger units? You say Tibet is it's okay, nothing grows. You and me are bye bye. Now what happens? Did China stop with Tibet? No. You concede Taiwan, it will next step will be Arunachal. You concede Arunachal, next step will be Ladakh. This is how it operates. Collective ego works exactly the same way. And so there will be again war, battle because you have to defend. So self-determination cannot be just the fancy of a group that I want to have an uh, Islamic ras, therefore I have the right to separate. This was the biggest blunder that happened. One of these, so many blunders by the way. This is one of them. That we'll form a Nation on the basis of religion This was anachronistic Humanity has gone ahead with that Far ahead You can't just go back to that That religion based Nation Even here you can't say We will have a Hindu Rast Equally You can have a a nation Which practices Dharma And speaks about uh, Spiritual consciousness Hindu Rast was valid during uh, Shivaji's time now you can't have it. It has become anachronistic. So you have to take the challenge. Now you have on one side an Islamic trust, On the other side a communist trust. So what do you do? How do you pro- proclaim yourself? It cannot be secular. Because that ideal has failed. You will be overrun. So what is the principle that you have to follow? There is only one principle. And that is not the ego, but the law of truth and the law of the deeper self. And for India, that is the spiritual consciousness. So India should be, if I mean, it's my own views, should be declared a spiritual rashtra, spiritual nation. Instead of secular, don't make Hindu or this, make it, we are a spiritual nation. Now when you bring in spiritual, everything, you don't harm anybody, but you stand and see if truth. You don't allow... Any religion, you start giving sops just to, you know, allow it, become a menace Because it's a collective ego, communal ego. But based on what is true and right and good and beautiful. That's what spirituality ultimately boils down to. So that is the process. shobindu doesn't speak of the spiritual, I mean, I must say that somebody should not. But eventually, instead of secular country, it should become a spiritual country. That is because he does say ultimately it is only by if you make the danger of self-determination as of all others is that it may be interpreted like most of the ideas of our human existence in the past in the light of the ego, its interest and its will towards self-satisfaction. So you say that everybody group has the right to decide, self-determine. So A group says on Friday I am going to give chutti. Why? Because that's sacred to me. What do you do with that? Now, that's where a secular nation truly will say no. That's not how we operate. But there has to be still something deeper. A secular nation will say, "This is your personal life. You do it inside. You need not go, or you. But you can't have a rust running. So then, if there is a spiritual rust, what it will say? It will say the concept of holidays itself is a misnomer. A spiritual being doesn't take rest. He works. You need rest, you take it off one day. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Now you see the whole concept again of Sunday as a rest. Now Sunday as a rest means what? Again God made six days and seventh day he said, wow, what a marvelous creation. And this is what is going to come in the future. You pick and choose Which day you want to take an off If you feel the need of off You take it That's it. That's how it should be I will say How will an organization run? There is enough plasticity In future institutions Will be more plastic And allow this freedom It's already coming Thanks to Corona An institution Which is not wide and plastic And allow this freedom Cannot operate In ashram we already have this By the way if People have Different days off, isn't it? I picked my day, somebody... But I like to work in different kind of work. This is going to be the future. And some people may say, we don't want an off, so it's perfectly fine. Now you see, but not because of money that I'll get. The joy of expressing yourself. So this is how we have to solve. So many problems are going to come up of this kind. And he speaks of that. Toward the end he says... Human life, <laughs> this is so beautifully showing The uses words, you know. For the ego has inalienably the instinct of a double self-assertion. It's self-assertion against other egos and it's self-assertion by means of other egos. In all its expansion, it is impelled to subordinate their need to its own, to use them for its own purpose and for that purpose to establish some kind of control or domination or property in what it uses. So you know what Sri Aurobindo says? Take away completely this idea of personal property. Finish it. Sounds radical? You see? How do we like to dominate? This is my land. I own it. This is my child. I own it. This is my wife. I own it. This idea should go. Everybody should be a free being, growing. So this idea, one of the suggestions he has given at the most pragmatic level is that take away this idea of personal property, not in the way the communist people do it. But again, there are so many, like in Auroville we have. In Auroville there is nothing like a personal property. You are there, you use it, you have developed it, you stay. But if you want to sell it, you can't sell it. It doesn't belong to you that way. Your son can continue staying there if he wants to be, you know, part of our will. Nobody will take away. So many of these ideals, mother, put forward in our will. Money is not the lord. Same with ashram. Some of us have wonderful places, mother's grace. <laughs> is that a personal property? No, it's not a personal property. So that's how when we have this um, idea of personal property, possessing, dominating. That's how this. This is the door through which it enters. Kaminal ego, that's what, again, you know, for my religion I need this particular spot. My personal property, no. And that's what is enshrined in our memory, in this simple word, Sabhumi gopalki. You see, this is the deepest meaning. So you have, now this is what is going on, Kashi Vishwanath, Matra, all this is, this is the basic thing behind. Whose property is it? <laughs> so, this, all through all this churning, so he says that this personal property, whether by force or by dexterity, openly or covertly, by absorption or by some skillful turn of exploitation, human lives cannot run upon free parallels, for they are compelled by nature continually to meet, impinge on each other, intermix, and in the ego life, that means always a clash. So, and lastly, he speaks of, you know, the different forces that are arising in future, uh, in, in different parts of the world. And there he says something very beautiful which we, we can stop. The two forces that are arising to, to possess the future represent two great things. The intellectual idealism of Europe And the soul of Asia. I think it summarizes everything. So Europe brings that idealism. All are free. But it doesn't know how to do it. Asia has the knowledge. But it must apply it in real life. The mind of Europe... Laboured by Hellenism and Christianity and enlarging its horizons by free thought and science has arrived at an idea of human perfectibility or progress expressed in the terms of an intellectual, material and vital freedom, equality and unity of close association, an active fraternity or comradeship in thought and feeling and labour. The difficulties to make of the component parts of this idea a combined and real reality in practice and the effort of European progress has been a labor to discover and set up a social machinery that shall automatically turn out this production. So then he says obviously that you know it doesn't work out like that. And it tries by regulation and... And then again at the end he says, And at any rate the root of the whole difficulty is ignored, that nothing can be real in life that is not made real in the spirit. You may have nice ideas, but it's not your inner truth. That's what is meant by realizing. It becomes real to us. So what is realizing God when God becomes real to us? It doesn't matter whether you had a vision or you you heard a voice. That's not the important part. There are people who had... But unfortunately, they have not realized it. When it becomes so real to our being that nothing else is more real than that reality, then we can say one has got realization. So to make it real in the spirit, it is only if man can be made free, equal and united in spirit that there can be a secure freedom, equality and brotherhood in their life. The idea and sentiment are not enough. For they are incomplete and combated by deep seated nature and instinct, and they are besides inconstant and fluctuate. So, finally, he says there must be an immense advance that will make freedom, equality, and unity our necessary internal and ex- external atmosphere. This can come only by a spiritual change. And the intellect of Europe is beginning to see that the spiritual change is at least a necessity but it is still too intent on rational formula and on mechanical effort to spare much time for discovery and realization of the things of the spirit. Again you see in the ashram and Auroville the two things beautifully combine. You have an external freedom but you have an internal compulsion which is unspoken. And life is centered not around the ego in the ashram what is compulsory there is nothing which is compulsory strange up to you nothing is compulsory there is no dress code there is no of course if you go like a naga sadhu somebody will stop you <laughs> that's obviously it is. or you start you know doing new but that's understood nowhere you can do that there is something called as public propriety <laughs> even that people move around they move around in short without banyan and anything. And men, they do it. So <laughs> there is such a freedom, it's unimaginable. But at the same time, there is also that inner striving. Why? Because there is that atmosphere. This atmosphere does not encourage certain things but encourages some other things. So that's how we have to have an external freedom and an internal at the external and internal atmosphere which is conducive to freedom. Unity and equality. Then the dream of the new millennium will be fulfilled. Why should we say dream then? Let us say the dream will be fulfilled. All that depends on us is whether we can have it sooner or we can delay it a little more. Let us hope and strive that it is sooner than we can even imagine or conceive. Maybe it's just round the corner. Namaste.